for joining this conversation. And I, I would like to quickly remind or, or just tell people what this is all about. Um, straight handball talk is a conversation between two people uh, that know each other that at some point either have been teammates, uh, competitors, um, partners, or anything in between, especially in USA. But ultimately, they are connected forever thanks to this Olympic sport of handball. This is actually, uh, the, I consider it as the price, uh, the, the reward, the priceless reward that we all get um, uh, from these connections, aside from the, the competition that we get and we all enjoy, but to me, being able to create, make friendships all over the world because of this sport, yeah. has, has just, it's the greatest reward of all time. Yeah, and I, I agree, I agree, so. It's very unique, at least uh, what we live here in the U.S. But, uh, yeah, I agree. So, um, and those who don't know Danilo, um, Danilo is a, a head coach of uh, the current U.S. national champions, uh, San Francisco Cal Heat. Uh, Danilo and I were both born in a country that doesn't exist anymore, that is Yugoslavia. Uh, so I know, I know you moved to Switzerland um, uh, at early age, but to start this conversation, I wanted to find out how much of a Balkan is there in you and, and when did you move to Switzerland? Uh, there is a bit of Balkan in me, but not much. You know, I was, uh, I was three years old when I moved. Uh, I was born in Belgrade, but my, uh, my father was a professional soccer player. He played for Partizan Belgrade and uh, he just, you know, had a transfer uh, to Switzerland to a pretty, one of the largest clubs in Switzerland and we decided to make the move there. Um, so I pretty much grew up in Switzerland. My, I speak better French uh, than I speak Serbo-Croatian. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of, I think I told that to you once. Uh, my heart is probably, my emotional side is probably rooted in Balkans, but, uh, but I would say the way I act and think is probably more Swiss. So uh, kind of, you know, I inherited uh, pretty much both cultures uh, along the way. But I guess that's a good thing. It's less explosiveness in reaction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me, your dad was a, a professional soccer player. Obviously, those who don't know, Partizan was one of the greatest soccer clubs in Yugoslavia at that time. Uh, so how in the world did you get started in handball? Uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting because I, uh, I started with soccer when I was really young. I was like eight, nine years old. So I followed on my uh, dad's footsteps and... Uh, when I was around, I would say 14, 15. I just, uh, yeah, I had enough of soccer. I don't know. I just got tired of it. And, you know, I, I always liked watching handball games. Uh, I think the first game I watched was in 1998 uh, or 97. Uh, I think it was European Championship, I think 98. Um, Yugoslavia was actually playing uh, against Sweden. Uh, and I really fell in love with the sport. And, uh, yeah, I was 14. And, uh, I just started playing. There was a handball court just next to my house, and you know, I just bought a ball and I started shooting by myself. And I said, "Yeah, let me join a club." And uh, joined a little handball club in my uh, in my city uh, in the western Switzerland, and uh, super welcoming club. Uh, they didn't have any youth team, so I had to play with the first team immediately. Uh, That's so, good. <laughs> uh, that was yeah, pretty good. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a pretty surprising start, I would say, uh, on my end. That's a good story. And what position did you play now that we're talking about your, your 
So my main position was always left wing. Um, I think I played left wing until I reached even the, the highest le level point, uh, you know, at Bern in semi-professional. Uh, but, uh, but then I transitioned a little bit to center back, but that was more towards the end, uh, especially when I was a coach player, uh, but left wing, yeah. I guess that's a natural transition. I mean, I, I did the same way. I mean, I, I got involved in handball because of a neighbor and, uh, and of course they, they put me on the left wing because you know, usually all the backcourts are taken by the, the guys who have experience and a lot taller. Yeah, yeah, and they and they didn't want to run obviously from the wing position that much, and they couldn't jump, so they put me in there. And I my experience was like, okay, I just wait and I get the ball and I just have to score all the time. But the problem is like the waiting for someone to pass you the ball was a disaster. I couldn't. I had no patience. So I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I either have to be there somewhere. Where <laughs> I have the ball in my hand, or I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, he, they call it sometimes, uh, one of my former teammates call it the, the left wing position or right wing, uh, the trash can, pretty much. <laughs> you throw the anything you can to the wing and you let him do whatever he can do. So Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not, I mean, anyone who plays well in those positions, they really have a focused mind that, you know, they can stay there and wait patiently and not get upset. They just are neutral. So you give them the ball at the high level and they demand from themselves to be highly executional in that situation. But yeah, again, yeah. you got to have patience for those 60 minutes to get the ball. Yeah, and, a lot of running as well. And a lot, a lot of running, of course, of course. Yeah. So anyway, so in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, you moved to uh, San Francisco and then you joined uh, Cal Heat at that time. So yeah, correct. I don't know much about, you know, the initial... Uh, um, integration a few within the club but tell me a little bit more what were the biggest challenges for you settling in uh yeah so i, I left switzerland 2015 spent good nearly 30 years there and i just we didn't come here for handball uh, we just came here initially for sabbatical for a year mm. and you know the more uh, the more time i spent uh here the more i wanted to stay and i realized that I think quickly upon my arrival that uh, there was a club here, uh, Calahit, and uh, the club was pretty far. Um, I was based in the city and the club was in Fremont. So like taking the metro or the car around 45, 50 minutes at least. So pretty interesting, but I said, yeah, I'm going to give it a try. And um, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, it was a pretty, I would say, well-organized club when I joined, uh, relatively small compared to what is it today. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's been pretty welcoming, I would say the, the team, uh, and everyone, uh, it was a much smaller community as I mentioned, but, uh, yeah, it took me, I think I quickly settled in, uh, you know, I tried to, uh, give a lot of in, immediately, a lot of my, uh, coaching, coaching background, you know, into the, into it, but, uh, you know, the, there was a coach already, so I pretty much wanted to let the coach do his thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and somehow the club got in con contact with me later to uh, to take over. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I know of Khalid for a long time, obviously. And uh, to me, they've always had some sort of an identity in the United States as a club. Um, but I don't think they've never really had a winning mentality, in my opinion. But you brought this to them and made them believe, and especially in the last three years, you ultimately made them succeed. I mean, I think uh, 
you planted that seed, uh, which culminated in, in the last two U.S. nationals in the men division, elite division, reaching the finals. I mean, I know the first time when you guys played against us, um, I, I think of it as the biggest problem that you had is the semifinal game against Nyack. And, yeah, and that, was, that was an epic game, which I was at the desk doing the desk job, which I hate. I, I, I despise one thing that I despise in handball is being on a desk because to me it is the most frustrating job and 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 it's just like it's I cannot do it and and I know I had support behind me uh, <laughs> helping me all the time but I just it was so stressed because I wanted to watch the game I wanted to enjoy the game so I think to me um, that game that you guys played it was amazing uh, it just drained you a little bit so what do you remember about that finals uh, I mean, so, not the semifinal, the final between us. Um, I think the, the one thing I remember, and you, you point out on it, is I think there was a big difference between that final and the final from, from last year, was uh, I think we were mentally and physically drained out. Uh, we, we initially, our objective was to go maybe like to go top four, but maybe fight for the bronze. That was really, we put everything on that. Uh, and then we, you know, we started a tournament beating Chicago, who beat us like three times in the season. And then we arrived against Nyack. We beat Nyack. And that game, I think, finished at 7, 8 p.m., you know, and we celebrated like the same way we celebrated a year ago. Uh, that was pretty much our, our title. And, you know, the, the day after, uh, obviously, you want to you wanna keep trying for more. Uh, but... Um, you um, you realize at some point. I think the, the guys realized that it was not it was not really possible really to challenge you guys. I think you were on a complete different mindset. For you, it was pretty much normal to achieve that. Uh, you were preparing for that game while we were. I mean, that game was like the cherry on the cake, right? And uh, you had also the players. I think it was. It's a very. It's two very different finals, and I think. Uh, it's, I would call it more of a Cinderella story, uh, the way we achieved, you know, the, the final versus a completely different, you know, uh, final in 2019. I mean, you guys were, uh, it was, I think yeah, there was no chance. I think the, the game lasted five minutes and um, you were, you just had, I think the, the experience, the players and you were ready. So I think there was no, not much to discuss around it. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we obviously knew that because we've been in a situation like that when you have a, a very heavy semifinals. Uh, next day, no matter how much you want it, uh, it's like yeah. it's not like we're professional players that we have our legs ready like, like this. So we, we, we were aware of that stuff. Uh, but again, it was a moment of, in my, my view, of the breakthrough of what Cal Heat is establishing and uh, how you guys are, are – uh, taking every game seriously and, and the focus on making every year a better year, which brings me to last year where you guys won uh, in a quite fun and interesting finals. Uh, I personally, watching from the bench, I, I remember um, watching my guys uh, play and looking at them. They were doing what they they usually do, do their thing, right? They They thought they had everything under control and but the energy of the game, I never, even though I was in the bench watching, like it just, it didn't feel right from, from my perspective. And, and then at the last 
seven, eight minutes when our guys started missing those easy shots, which I thought could have really finished the game, mm. I knew it. I mean, I knew it. The last five minutes, I said, okay, this is going to be one of those games where you have no idea what's going to happen and few seconds are going to change everything. So I, I, was, I was aware that this is going to be a, a, some, some weird thing. And I say this because I, I think many people who, who have been in finals and in these situations many years, there is a sense, there is an in, intangible, when you realize that something is not right, even you're up, something is not right. Mm-hmm. Then you guys capitalize on all the mistakes that we did in the last minutes. And then especially on the mental ones and deservedly won the title because the focus is what matters in those minutes. And the, the little tiny things that you captured in those two last two, three minutes changed everything. So I saw it from my bench perspective. I want to know how did you see it from your bench perspective? Yeah, I'll, I'll have a question before I answer this one. Why did you, why did you spend most of the time on the bench? <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's very simple. I'm I'm stopping. Even my guys ask me that, but it's my time to stop playing. I mean, and on top of it all, aside from that, if Stefan didn't have a good game, I would have gotten in the Wait, game. Right. Stefan was playing out of his mind, and to me, having him, he's been with us since he was eighteen or nineteen. I always call him. He's he's going to always be our nineteen-year-old uh, center back, and he's the future of our club. And I was super happy what he was doing. It just I mean, he had the game of his life. So yeah, me, I will never, ever put myself in that situation at 42, 43 years old, take away a young guy who was doing everything right. Now, it was not his fault that we lost, yeah. but uh, that's why I was sitting on the bench. Interesting. No, he definitely, he played, I think, he played an amazing game. And uh, I think if I didn't change the last, you know, detail in defense to prevent him maybe in those last five minutes from keeping on the momentum we probably would have lost um i mean that game was really interesting because as i mentioned before i think the way we arrived into that game it was completely different um, the cinderella story was kind of still there but not to the same extent but we knew where we wanted to be um there was measured celebration after the semifinal. Uh, and uh, even though, you know, winning against LA is always nice, but... Uh, <laughs> it's live, live and learn. I know those, those days. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, uh, it was different. The, the, the morning when we woke up, the guys, had a, you know, they were preparing for that game. And a few guys, and like, without being offensive, were like, well, let's go. We, we can win this one. And uh, we want to get it. And when we prepared, I mean, there was... There was not much motivational talk to have with them. Yeah. They knew exactly what they wanted to be. We, I think we had this probably best assembly of Calhit players so far, um, from what I can hear from old members of the club. And uh, yeah, and then the game, you know, the game was interesting because I think you, you had two, three times, three goals difference. And there was always the moment where you could have had that fourth goal, right? Yeah. We probably, <laughs> if our goalie didn't do an amazing job, I think once, I think Georgia was shooting. Uh, he had completely open shot, uh, yeah. which usually never misses. Then uh, you have Benji, who, yeah. who had a pretty, I would say, not great day. Um, and we, as you say, we capitalized on that. And we obviously had a few lucky moments, uh, great moments. And uh, somehow it worked out. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that, you know, we are still far away from New York City in terms of, you know, 
you won so many titles. But um, yeah, we, you're a great aspiration for us, and uh, we want to get there one day. Who knows? Well, what, what I think the fact that you know you were not satisfied with us being second, and I think that shows in players, and I think uh, uh, that's what builds a club mentality, that winning mentality that I, I brought up earlier. It's you know it starts from the top. And if, if, you know, people are there with time, I mean, I think time is a, a crucial factor in here. Yeah. If you establish a foundation and some sort of a, a, a system and then you fit in the right players, in this, in this country, in this league, you should, not you, but any club should be a, a contender for anything. Absolutely. Uh, because it's, it's very simple in that way. You build an identity that is... Uh, uh, mentally strong and you never know sometimes you win sometimes you lose but the games will become always competitive Absolutely. and that's what I care about the most always cared about it the most yeah, yeah, yeah. so let's jump from us uh, uh, clubs which we can talk for 10 days but uh, let's talk about uh, uh, USA team handball obviously you know their mission is to uh, develop promote uh, educate and grow the sport of team handball at all levels in the United States uh, and the, the, their job is to enable United States athletes to achieve sustained competitive excellence. And more importantly, they, they, they need to make them win medals in international and Olympic competition. You've been here for five years. How do you think they have done in the last five years? And what do you think they should be doing to actually be successful with this mission? Should I uh, grab a coffee so we can spend some time? <laughs> or a six-pack, better. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think there are many different layers to observe. Um, definitely, there has been an evolution since I arrived. Um, maybe I, just because I got more exposed to it, I don't know. But I would say that there has been, at some layers, a positive evolution. Uh, at some other layers, just nothing. Um, I think... Uh, I'll start probably from the most important aspect, which uh, hasn't evolved, is youth. I think, uh, to me, it's it's very interesting that we have a league here where no team, and we have something, I think, here at Calhit, but it's still not to the level you would expect it to be, is, and we have really a youth team part of the club. Uh, I think that's that's something essential that fuels quantity of players and also, at some point, quality of players. And... Um, not having that as, as really a, the number one priority for me is very, or number two, whatever, but it's very surprising. And uh, I think that's, as long as this is not going to be fixed in a way, I think the U.S. is always going to have trouble, I think. Um, they will rely mostly on, on us, you know, foreign Europeans um, who, who just come with a, with a background from Europe, build it here and, you know, win a couple things, but nothing... And you can see it in the national team. Uh, the national team, even though those are dual citizens, 90%, if not more of them, you know, had their edu handball education in Europe. Um, I think that can work uh, in the short, mid-term, and probably that's the current recipe for success for, uh, for the USA team handball. But I think in the long term, it's, it's just a bit delusional. But, um, but um, I don't know. I, I think... There has been some progress, as I said, some positive ones, like there is more exposure, visibility. I think Barry just joined, Barry Sif, uh, the new CEO, just joined recently. I think he's trying to really to push for that. So I would say on that aspect, there is definitely more exposure towards the IHF and stuff like that. Uh, more like Verizon just came as a sponsor. So something's happening on that front. 
Um, but I think what we also miss a lot is this handball knowledge. You know, uh, people like you, me, and there are a few of them currently in USA Team Handball, but we need more people who, who know the sport and know what to do, you know, how to grow it. And um, I think that's, that's just lacking right now. And it's going to be a pretty difficult, I think, to get faster on track without those. Well, I mean, the, the first part you mentioned about the youth teams and the youth levels within the club system, critical, obviously, for any uh, development of handball. Here they call it grassroots handball, but I call it an extension or, or building the foundation of a club. I mean, it's, it has to be rooted within the club system. And if any federation, I believe in Europe, I mean, they don't have this problem, but I remember in Kosovo, at one point, if a club didn't have a youth team, they couldn't compete in the top division, no matter how many good players yeah. they have. So it, it was like, okay, plus they would not get funding from the federation. So if you show that you have a, a youth team in, in cadets and, and another level, then you get funding and it's the funding only requires to pay the coaches. Uh, it requires to pay the facility and the, the medical doctor and whatnot. Yeah. Not a lot, but you, you entice a club to do what you want to happen 10 years from now. And you guys are doing that. And I think, uh, I, honestly, I'm not jealous, but I feel that I wish we could do that here. Um, and no, we tried many years, but, it didn't work in the way that I want to see it within the club system. Yeah, I would go to a school and I would go to a, a, a New York City department uh, a program. We'd do all this stuff and then poof, everything would disappear. So, yeah, yeah. so if you don't build it within the club system, I think it's always going to be, oh, look what we did. Oh, we don't have it anymore. So yeah. I wish we could do something like this. I think you guys as, as leaders in that aspect somehow should take charge from the USA team handball perspective and just make sure that help every other club in the country to do it the way you did it. They can have their own ways, but, but, and then USA team handball responsibility is to fund any club who's actually doing that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's critical. It's, um, you know, we are, we are talking about the Olympics 2028. They were announced what, three years ago. Um, if this was started, let's say five, six years ago, then you have your team, right? Yeah. Um, I have the feeling it's already a bit late right now to start that for 228, but um, but we'll see. You know, it's um, maybe maybe Zion Williams joins. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> things things don't work. They ban him in the NBA for all that stuff that he's doing. And he's going to look for another opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's another debate <laughs> we can have. <laughs> that's, that's, of course, a joke because I think the whole approach is like, I mean, I, I love the idea of these sort of athletes who join yeah. U.S. handball. I love it because, yes, if they joined when they were 12, let's say 12, not even 8, but 12, and they have these predispositions and they stick to handball, hell yeah, no yeah. doubt. But nobody's going to do that without yeah. – feeling that they belong to something more important, which is to me a very strong club uh, of situation, family. Yeah, I agree. And something that I'm pretty interested in, I think we never talked about this, you know, you took over in New York, was like 2007, you said? 2007. You said to yeah. Me, yeah. So I'm really interested in how you, how was, how was life in New York when you, when you arrived as, as the president or took over and how it is right now? Because I think right now it's really, it's pretty much the benchmark for many teams, I think. 
Um, so how 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 did that you know ascend? Well, so, you know, you know, it was. I I went to a, a practice a few times, and there were two, three people, four people sitting down talking, and these are the older guys. Uh, uh, one of them is Richie. Richie is our mm -hmm. our soul and heart who kept this club alive since 80s and just been around and you know trying to hustle just to grab whoever who can who plays handball to be a part of it so when i joined in there were like four, very few people and then during games there would be a little bit more like eight nine people but it was just not a a big group of people mm -hmm. so when i decided to join i talked to richie i said richie I mean, I want to come play handball and not just play basketball because I can play basketball other places. I mean, I love basketball. I think I'm actually better in basketball than handball. So, <laughs> but I want to do this. And he said, oh, well, it's going to be difficult. I said, it's, I know it's going to be difficult, but let me try. So like anyone else, just I started, you know, promoting at that time, uh, using online, creating a website, uh, a little small website, reaching out to people, posting on forums. Uh, buying new jerseys, get uh, some local sponsors, get us uh, new warm-ups, like really make make us look like a unity. And then slowly start developing a, a playing system because we had no playing system. And mm -hmm. it was all all for yourself. And 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 that time I really wanted us to feel like, okay, let's build a system that we can play and identify as who we are. And then of course we had players, like certain players at that time, like Ivan was uh, our goalkeeper, yeah. Zelki was our, our left wing, was amazing. And then Joel had joined us later, Vlado joined us later. So all of a sudden we built a, a foundation of people who want to understand handball the same way we grew up to play, which is uh, play really hard and play with heart and, and, and stick to a system. And then many other people from all over the world joined because I didn't want to create a, a situation where like, Oh, you form a group of Balkans and you run it that way. It's, yeah. It doesn't work that way. Uh, especially in our city uh, and especially in big cities with so much diversity. So we, we kept bringing more and more people and it, it didn't matter if you played handball well or not. If you played handball once in your life, when you were a kid and you moved to New York, we wanted you come in. So we created that family environment, which then transferred to spending a lot more time outside the court for many people, mm -hmm. uh, creating these events and, and slowly one step at a time saying like, okay, well, we did this perfectly. We won nationals. We have a women's team. Uh, we won this, we won this, but winning is not necessarily a goal all the time. It's like, okay, what is the next achievement we can do to one, elevate our, our status as a club, and yep. two, what are the bigger goals that we can achieve? And then it was the main thing. It started in 2012, I believe. I went to London Olympics uh, and I went to talk to the IHF at that time to beg them to give us a wild card for Superglow. Uh, because at that time, I thought we have no chance of competing against a Brazilian club. So I said it would be a great idea if you guys support North America and give us a wild card. I mean, we have such a interesting story and it would be only good for him they said oh it's a good idea and whatnot but said, we're, we're, we'll talk about it nothing happened for a year and then i went to spain to a world championship in spain i met there with another person from IHF, and i pleaded my case again i said guys it's it's really important i promise you it's just going to help us all and then the guy from IHF said that oh yeah well we're gonna have a meeting and we're discussing the 
possibility of splitting up. Uh, this was a long time ago, before the split even happened. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at that time, I was just pushing all these little things because I knew if we don't have actually have access to a bigger stage, we are just going to keep talking to ourselves, have fun as a little club and, and not have actually the global opportunity to, to have people talk about it. Now, in all this time, obviously, I was organizing the Big Apple International Tournament, which yeah. was the largest international handball tournament in USA, where we had all the greatest handball players in the planet to play in New York City during New Year's Eve. So that generated a tremendous interest uh, around Europe, not here. Again, it was, uh, we broadcasted the games twice during those five years on Eurosport, and we generated millions of, of viewerships on TV. So we just built this platform of a recognized club, an amateur club that's doing these things. And all the top legends were supporting this movement, this growth. And I just wished at that time a USA Team Handball Foundation or, or Federation was there to mm -hmm. capitalize on, on that interest, on the buildup and all the things that we were doing to elevate it to another level. Didn't happen, of course, things after five years when, when resources, finances dry out and, and it's just hard to push. I mean, we could have done it, but it was to the point where it was very exhausting. I mean, putting your own resources and then, and, and then certain big sponsors from Germany had to pull out. Um, it was tough and I felt bad because it was a really good, good foundation to build from it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so that passed. And then finally, IHF said, why, why don't you go to Pan American Games uh, Club Championship and try to compete against the, the Brazilians and Argentines? I said, I really want to do that. I'm trying to do this every year. But I get the invitation two weeks before the tournament happens, either in Brazil or Argentina. I said, how the hell am I going to buy the tickets and prepare for this stuff? And then finally, IHF provided, I think, a million dollar grant or sponsorship to the Pan-American Federation through Qatar. And then one year they organized this Pan-American Club Championship. They let us know six months in advance. And that's where we actually went. We applied, we got the guys to come in and we competed. And we competed really well against everyone. I mean, we beat the Paraguayans, the Uruguayans and yeah. Chilean teams. We just lost to the Brazil and, and Argentina teams and without training. I mean, we did zero training whatsoever. So these are the, the steps of, of always trying to achieve that one extra goal or, or level up to the point where, okay, what do we do now? I mean, I just, we, we really wanted to show everyone that we can do it. If we can do it, any other club can do it. You just have to be committed. So that's, it was constantly trying to get to another step higher. And uh, it just required a lot of dedication work. And, and just stick with it. I mean, yeah, it's what you guys did is, and I wanted to ask you, you answered my question about the Big Apple tournament. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pity we don't have these events anymore. Uh, I think it's, that was quite unique. And I think right now everybody would be sold behind it. Um, and it's a pity you didn't get the support. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, it, you know, it's interesting. You, you, you've gone through all these steps and I always wanted to ask you that is like out of all these titles, events that you played, what was the one that uh, sticks with you the most? Uh, you know, I, I, 
I take everything, um, you know, personally, and I want to make it happen. But when it's done, I'm thinking, okay, let's do the next one a little bit better. So I commit to every single one of the the events that I've been in. I when I'm in the game, I'm uh, when I'm playing, I'm just thinking about the game and every second about the game. When I'm organizing, I'm thinking about every single person that's involved and how to yeah. get every piece to really work together to make the best event possible. So very two different mentalities in that sense. When I'm in the game, I am your competitor. I am your person you have to beat and I'm looking to do the same way. But from the outside, I'm very open and wide uh, available to work with every single person. So uh, either way, uh, every event that we've done, it, it meant different thing because it was the first of every single thing we've done as a club. Yeah. So it felt good, but then, okay, now what? <laughs> what do we do next? Because it's done, and now what do we do? Because Superglobe, if if we ever go back again next time as a uh, as a club, I would die not to go there. And this is the first tournament in my life that I haven't won a game, like in a tournament. In the, yeah. But understandably why. But to get to that level, you have to do so many more things. To get yeah. to a level where you have actually chance to win one game, which brings me to the USA team handball and the national team that got the wild card for 2025, 2027 in world championships. But how do we win a game in that championship? It's not just being there, right? Especially yeah. given to you. How do we build a team that wins there? So it's a very interesting question. I think you... There is so many steps that need to go until the moment you reach the 225, 26 or whatever, even if they get the wild card now in Egypt to go, right? Because um, oh, there, there are two wild card spots and I think the US can get one. Yeah. Um, but what is the point? Like, obviously it's a great marketing tool, the PR going there, US is there, but what do you... And at the end is the question which, which only probably USA Team Handball and Robert Hedin can answer is like, what's the objective going there if the objective is purely results you just bring the best whoever yeah. whoever has the u.s passport you bring the best guys uh, and then you hope to achieve uh, which again reminds me of the of the panams that recently happened where i think the u.s really brought the best they could get uh, yeah. and uh, obviously uh, there was no chance against argentina uh, very little against chile and I was really surprised that they even couldn't make it, you know, to, I think they finished sixth, right? I think. I think so. Uh, because They beat Cuba in the preliminary, but then they lost to them for exactly. fifth place. Yeah. Um, which again, I think is finishing sixth with the team they had is not a good result. Uh, so uh, with the team they had, I would have really expected them to be in the number four spot. Again, they had a yeah. tough group. Obviously the draw isn't uh, easy. Uh, but I think a great example which shows development is Chile. Chile is a great, uh, under Mateo Garalda's leadership, they have, they have really evolved from a very niche, small market country uh, to, a, to a pretty, I would say, good. I think they, they challenge Argentina and Brazil now easily. They play beautiful handball, actually. That championship, it was really fun to watch them play. Yeah. So I think there is... There are these different benchmarks where I think the U.S. should really look look at, you know, Chile, Japan. Obviously, it's always easy to look at Germany, Spain, France, but it's I don't think it's applicable. But how can you look at these markets who 
who have managed to do it, you know, uh, I think the right way. So yeah. hopefully, uh, I think, yeah, if they can manage to win a game, I think that's going to be real progress, I think. Yeah, I mean, to yeah. me, it's like, that's what I think about it. Okay, you got a wild card and it's phenomenal because it is an opportunity to promote. Um, but then when you get there, you got to have something to win. But that time will come hopefully soon. So uh, to move on, like you've been a promo uh, proponent of having clear guidelines on competition and you work hard with a few other guys to make that as a, an established rule book for all the elite competitions and for competition um, in general. And I think it's, it's a very important thing to have someone who pushes on that stuff. However, do you think that you've been successful enough that, and I've been a part of a couple of times that all the work is done, the rules are there, the playbook is there. And then for some reason, there are loopholes that are make a rule book null. And I'm thinking, how is that possible? When during the year, everyone worked, everyone was fine. And then all of a sudden in the last second, it just changed. So is it because, I don't know this very much, I didn't explore much. Is it because we are a amateur entity within the national governing body, which is run by USOC, and we have to act by Ted Stevens Act that anytime someone comes up with an idea that, hey, you're not letting amateur players play in, and whatever you put in the rule book is no. not worth it? Look, uh, you have been part of those conversation. Um, I think, to me, it doesn't have really a lot to do with amateur. You can, you can be an amateur player, but have a professional mentality, I think, and approach things in a professional and structured way. Uh, that was the first, I mean, the main thing that struck me the, the first time I was at Nationals, you know, back in 2017. And already back then, there was a team who had two, three names that I never saw on the roster. But, you know, I didn't care because I had not much time to, uh, to expose myself. But, you know, I, I saw the next year the same thing happened and with some, finally, some consequences. Yeah. Then the third year, when it was even more obvious than the first two years before, nothing happened. Um, and yeah, obviously we are, I think you and I and a few other people, we are pushing for this competition things to be, you know, straight and clear. And I think if you follow that rule book, it's the simplest thing in the world. You, you mentioned it. Uh, the problem is there are loopholes uh, like any rule book has, but it's interesting that every time we talk about that, we are always leaning on the soft side. We are yeah. never leaning on the conservative side. And I think that's my big problem because especially for amateur organization who take so much effort, time and money, you know, to, to, uh, to go through uh, all these processes, you know, traveling and everything. I mean, the cost of just participating to nationals is immense. Um, and you come there and something like that happens to me and, and it's even, you know, justice is not made. Then you're just feeling like something's been wrong here. I'm just sitting at the wrong place. I'm wasting my time. And, Obviously, it's great when you win, you easily forget it, but I, I, I tend not to forget those things. And that's probably something that strikes me a lot and maybe always been a bit of my, my weakness, but I cannot, I cannot just stand those kind of injustice. I think there are loopholes today. We're trying to fix them. I think the rule book is, is better now yeah. since two years, but we still have probably another 20, 25% of adjustments to do to make it, I would say, perfect. But again, step by step. It's... Uh... Yeah, so I mean, 
like you said, it's not even about winning, but if you have a club um, that does the right thing or does things on their own and they don't even have to rely on the rule book because for me, as someone who runs a club, I will never ask any player to come from outside to play here if they haven't been a part of the, the club for a long period of time. Yes, they might move to a different state because of work reason, family reason, but they do come occasionally to practice in another tournament and they don't move clubs. They don't move teams. They've been with us for decades. So to me, to go ask people from outside just to join me in domestic competition is a no-no. So I personally, from the, that position, it's like, why wouldn't others do it? I know that you need players, but think about it. You have opportunities to bring those players, create that team feeling, the club element, and not come in and ruin the other people's work. And again, it's not about winning because at this point that has not affected the ultimate goal, but just don't do it. You know, do the right thing. Build your club from, from, from a simple foundation. Yeah, it's exactly that. I think there is a lot of blame on that, but on the other end as well, when you when you express those concerns and you just see that nothing's happening, you you ask yourself, right, what, why why am I in this for, right? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, I think it's it's great and that many teams join those kind of uh, discussions, and I think we are not the only ones really speaking about it. But I think the more people can be vocal about it, uh, the better. I think this is uh, we need this. Yeah, I, it's it's happening one step at a time. I think as long as you keep sticking with it, and we have Patrick as well and Brian, uh, we should not have any more deep issues that like what we used to have. So um, I want to share another thing uh, with you. Uh, this is like a little bit more of a controversial thing. It's not even controversial, but I know uh, a lot of people don't know this, but um, both you, Cal Heat, and New York City, we bid it for a Super Globe qualifier this year. And um, and I know I was upset, very upset when I found out that you guys had already bid it last year for the, for the event and I had no idea. And I kept asking Barry uh, for information like, oh, so when are they gonna send the, the bid package? And for a week, I didn't get a response. And then after two weeks, I sent it again because it was, what, I don't know, it was February or I don't know, it was just, beginning of the year and then he said oh yeah uh Kyle Heat has bid it and uh, we're supporting that bid um it's a good bid and we're gonna support that I'm like what I'm like I really got upset because it wasn't because you or someone else bid it it's because I was not informed and last year a year before we organized a very successful event uh fully self-funded without any support of USA team handball and maybe this year I was not even considering it right because it's okay to for someone else to host it. But I felt in a way betrayed because I was not told the whole information. And, and of course, when that happens, I said, you know what, it, a bid is a bid, which means there needs to be other bids. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my bid, which ultimately won the, the right to host the Super Globe because the only reason is because I was hosting it at a, at a USOC uh, training camp uh, center, which is equipped to do this stuff for a much cheaper version. So... I want to I wanna share this. I mean, we've shared these emails back and forth where we said things to each other and, and think people got involved and people should know this, that there are times that we're friends, but there are times that there are issues that we argue. Uh, ultimately, we solved it in, in the best way possible. 
but I want to know how do you feel about the whole situation, how it happened, and your side of the story, by the way. Sure, I would say, uh, yeah, you. I think it's it was it's interesting because I think uh, we felt it uh, as a. I don't know if it's a misunderstanding at the end or everything, but uh, we also had the feeling of being upset because obviously we had a, you know, starting point was the, the year before where, uh, you know, we wanted you or anyone in the U.S. to host it. And we never even thought about, you know, participating because we had, we didn't think we had the right to be there because you guys won. And if you remember, you know, after, uh, after the nationals we lost, we reached out to you and, you said, you know, if you guys are going to South America, if there is a second spot, we would be going. If not, like, you know, let us know. And um, there were, I think, even some talks that, you know, we didn't even know if you could host it or if it could be us. But at the end of the day, you had the best version. And we, from a moral standpoint, were, uh, were supportive. Obviously, uh, you know, we didn't put money into it. Uh, you invested. And I think all the credit goes to you for that. Um, but, you know, from a moral standpoint, we were there, we were supportive and we even wanted to go there. And I think uh, we were, I think there was a bit of disappointment here and that's not maybe on you. It's, uh, you know, we, we thought it was a one week event uh, and, uh, and, you know, take for us taking a week and then another three, four days at nationals uh, was a bit difficult. Um, uh, so we said that, you know, if it's a week event, there's no chance. And, uh, and then we learned later that it was a three-day event. And, you know, also we kind of felt, oh, wait, they haven't told us. Because a three-day event, we would have gone for sure. And we felt a little bit the same way you felt, you know, a little yeah. bit. Um, you used the word before, but I can't forget. I can't remember. Betrayed. But, um, betrayed, kind of. <laughs> Even that word is very powerful. It is. Too powerful for that. But that's the feeling we got, but nothing upsetting. And we said, look, anyway... It's not our right to be there. What we have to do, and I told my guys, is like, if you want to be, you know, a contender to these people, like you have to to beat them. There is no other way. And you know, we won. Um, it's, uh, and I think the moment we won, we also mentioned that there was an interest from us to do it. You know, and uh, and somehow I don't know the communication got lost. I don't know if it was my fault or if it was uh, just by default. So I'll just assume it was my fault. Uh, on that um, and you know we 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 started things on our own way um, our objective wasn't really to hide things from you actually it was not mine uh, but was more about hey we deserve it right now we you know we want it uh, we want to organize it and I think I mentioned that to you in an email and maybe it was never that message never got there but was like, for me, I never have any problem you applying for it. I think where the problem lies to me, and maybe it's the problem in the system again, is that I think this is where we should have a clear system where USA Team Handball asks whoever wants to organize that event to bid. And then USA Team Handball says, okay, I have club A, B, C, D. And then to us, club B is going to get full support. You can all apply, but club B gets full support. This is where a bit, I think, wasn't really something pointing out to you or to someone i think the system was so there was no process at all which yep. created you know us there was a little bit of competition between us and and then and i think we felt betrayed you felt betrayed and at the end of the day and i told you in one of my email it was like even though we exchanged some pretty uh 
strong words and you know when i think i hope we have the chance to meet again you know so i can we will <laughs> have a coffee and talk that with you but you know i when people i don't like or don't care tell me something uh i just don't care and you know i move on but you know when people i gave respect to some people and we have those harsh conversations it, it sticks with it stick with me you know my parents were visiting when that happened and i just felt shitty that day because i think I think you were wrong. And, and then I said, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's wrong, etc. And I just said, <clears throat> shit, you know, and I wrote you that email saying, you know, I, you know, maybe I disagree with what you said, but, you know, I respect you. And if you get it, great, we will be there. And if we get it, you should come as well. And that's the, you know, I learned from that moment. And, you know, that's, that's openly, you know, I want, I want to keep that communication line, not open only, but reinforced. So, yeah. That's, that's just me. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I love these moments, right? I love these moments of, uh, of truth, like where we, people do things, they believe they're doing the right thing. It's perfectly fine. And, and I always support that. And, and again, I really um, personally had no intention maybe organizing it again this year because I knew how much it cost and how much of a toll it was for, for me personal um but that part that happened and, and misunderstanding miscommunication is because to me it felt like okay i've been reaching out didn't get a response and the final response really close to the date was like oh yeah someone else has it and someone's gonna take it which brings me down to the system a year before there was a system the letter was sent to a bunch of clubs by mike and and said hey who wants to organize it Exactly. And, exactly. And, and, and I'm like, okay, but it was also, I had to respond in four days because that was sent also late. So I'm like yeah. four days, I'm like, and I looked at the, the, how much money needs to be cut. So I had to do everything in four days. And I said, after four days, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'll figure out how I'm going to do it afterwards. So that's how I got it. It was really not, if I had to think too much, the money involved and especially because it was supposed to be a eight day event. But yeah. then two teams, Jamaica was supposed to send a team, Puerto Rico was supposed to send a team. So that would have made five teams altogether. And that was becoming an eight-day event. And then all of a sudden, day after day, so many issues with clubs waiting till the last second, asking unreasonable things to the point where like, guys, you know what? Like, just come. You, you don't have a lot of money to spend. Just come if you want to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. And finally, we got stuck with three teams and that minimized the event to altogether five days, three competition days and two days in and out. So I, I remember that part. It was, it was not to the point where I wanted to be this way, but every day it was changing because a club was canceling. And then another club was saying, hey, I might come. So, and we, we really had no control. We were like, okay, just whoever wants to come, well, I'll just make sure that I have enough room for yeah. everyone. But leaving that last year aside, I mean, this year, of course, we both, I know you guys felt a hurt too because what I said and how things developed and you felt that I was uh, encroaching in your right as winners to, to host, uh, obviously to clear this out. Um, has nothing to do with this. It just, I just needed, wanted to be notified and to have that right to say, okay, Khaled is doing it. Do I want to do it? No. Do I want to support them? Yes. Simple as that. But it's like when someone sort of hides something, 
Yeah. It's like, it, it, that's how it felt. Now, obviously yeah. we know the reason why it happened and I'm glad we moved past it. And, and talking about this here, depending what the situation is happening, hopefully there will be a qualifier somewhere where people are going to go. But if not, I hope you guys as national champions will, will represent us if Superglobe happens. Yeah, let's hope, uh, you know, and that's again another thing. There's not much communication around it happening. I don't know if it's because there is nothing, you know, but I think we all want to know. Um, obviously, we want to, the same way you earned it last year, we want to earn it this year. And if we can have a qualifier, no matter where it is, um, we, we would be happier, happy to. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it happens. I mean, we still have hope and time. <laughs> yeah. so, Tell me, uh, tell me about National this year. I know you and, and, and us as a club, we're up for it. Now we just have to figure out where and when. What do you think? Uh, so let's start with the, with the when, because I think <laughs> it's important. Uh, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is uh, how much do we want that event? At what cost, right? Mm. And I think if, if the cost is to play it no matter what, at, no, like at any point in time, then that when can happen even at Christmas this year. Yeah. Um, personally, I'm against it. Um, I think that by September 30th, if we don't have, you know, a national, because then October is a new season, you know, Chicago yeah. tournament, etc. To me, there is no point killing two of our seasons because even if you put nationals in November, who is going to travel to Chicago? Who is going to travel to yeah. Texas? And even our own Cal Cup in January, you know, it's a bit, so in my opinion, you know, it's um, if by September 30 we don't have anything, um, we should just call it quit and cancel the season, which again then asks a lot of questions after that because where do we start from there? Like I'm talking about Superglobe because yeah. I'm very emotional about that because, you know, since we have no season, is it again the two of us, right, uh, who, who are involved? And I think they should be because if you don't have a season... Yeah. We should start where we started after 1920. You know, yeah. um, that's my opinion. And but the problem is, you never know. Hopefully, USA Team Handball follows that, and we don't have to remind them of that. But um, uh, so that's on the when. Uh, so I hope I know the date is booked for Detroit, August seven and nine. But nobody knows. Um, but the where, you know, um, one of the ideas we were talking you and me was maybe you know have a final four, final six. Um, anywhere, yeah, can be anywhere. Uh, split the three divisions, you know, men, women, elite, three locations. We have gyms available. Chicago has a great gym, Boston has a great gym. We have a good gym, Dallas, yeah. Um, in cheaper, much cheaper than renting this huge thing in Detroit. Um, I don't know. I think if we really want to have nationals by September 30, there are solutions, and um, I think I hope we can find find something. What do you think? Well, look, I'm, I'm up for it. I think we're all dying to play. Uh, I mean, first to, to learn how to walk again, because <laughs> being stuck at home for two months is not good for people at my age. Uh, so I think if we have enough time to at least get into a, some sort of a decent physical shape, um, anywhere would be fine. But I had a conversation with Vlado the other day, and he, he, he brought up something I he actually didn't even cross my mind. He said, what about going back to Myrtle Beach? Like, it's 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 wide open, meaning the state is open, beaches are open, the facility was amazing, 
And even though I was like, oh, what we were there for three years and it's like, it's kind of feels like it's a tournament, a regular tournament. But in this situation where again, flights will be going in, they're cheap for most people, not for you guys, it's much difficult, but uh, still possible. And, and that facility, I think for me, I haven't been in a facility as good as that one to host yeah. four, four courts. It was perfect. Uh, so I was like, wow, Vlado, that's, I, I thought we're never going to go back to Myrtle Beach again, but it is a possibility and a good yeah. one. And I think we should, uh, it should be, a. I mean, I know the, currently the conversation is a bit, you know, in the oven, but uh, I think we should really uh, start engaging on that and presenting a couple options. And again, I think Myrtle Beach, you know, I, I, I personally would have liked there to continue there just because of the facility, no yeah. other reason. Uh, you have everything there. Our hotel is like 10 minute walking distance. Yeah. I think we're in far as well. Um, what do we want more, right? Uh, I don't know Detroit. I'm sure they, they were up for something great, but uh, the problem always for a handball player for me is flooring, right? Yeah. See yeah. what kind of flooring were they meant, meant to bring there? If they were meant to bring the gear floor or those kind of thing, yeah. You will not, they will not bring four gear floors guaranteed. Oh, I mean, sure, maybe yeah. one, yes, but they, the, the only form that usually uh, these centers have is the uh, snap uh, locks. Yeah. Those, those can be great if they're brand new, but if they're used, there's yeah. little wet, you can, you can ice skate. Yeah, so, you know, Myrtle Beach would be ideal then, you know. I mean, we have options. That's, that's the thing. You, we have options. We have Myrtle Beach, multiple location, one location, final four, final six, whatever. I think it's, it's feasible. Uh, but if we always err on the side of caution, probably we'll never have it this year. So. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, look, in the last 30 days, it feels like it's been two years and so much happened, right? Now I'm thinking next 30 days, everything can change back to normal. Like looking from the opti optimistic level, not looking at the, the aspect of what's happening, but just, I got, we got to be positive and at least prepare. I have no doubt any of these facilities, whether it's Myrtle beach or any other with a lot of space, they need business. So they would give it to you for free. If they allow people and, and team sports to, to compete, the, the, the city and the state will give you incentives to bring people. And I know South Carolina is a place that wants to have people on that beach during the summertime. So they will do anything to bring people in there. So it's an yeah. opportunity for someone uh, to think about, Hey, where can I get everything free? And then let's see. Another thing that I really want is for our, our U S national registration fee to be cut in half. I don't want to pay thousand dollars. I mean, it's too much, especially this time. So uh, you mean the entry fee for nationals? Yeah, yeah, thousand dollars at this point. I think it's too much. Uh, so we got to think about the the way to make it a little bit more this year. Maybe let's see what what we talk about later on. But I used to we used to pay four hundred dollars just six years ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's becoming really expensive, right? Um, it's um... 1,000, yeah. The first year when we started, it was 750 when I started. Yeah, uh, oh, I remember. Two, six years ago, it was 450. And if you pay early, it was a little bit cheaper. And, and think about it, us, our clubs that send four teams now in these championships, that's $4,000 to, 
at once. And it's, it's, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a lot of money. And if you count also memberships and everything, I think our club contributions are, are easily on a yearly basis beyond 10 K. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why if we, if we get free, free facilities in one of these places, definitely support clubs with less money to pay. And then, you know, we can ignite our players, our members, and, you know, at least have something. I'm sure people want to go to the beach. I mean, if everything clears up, we get a green light when it comes to uh, dealing with this virus. But people would love to be on a beach. Yeah. So that's that's my I I didn't know yes. about this. I didn't think about this, but I Vlado convinced me. <laughs> you should suggest it. Yeah. Uh, so what are um, we going to wrap it up because we had a, a nice good one hour conversation? Is what are your expectations for next year if this year is completely washed out? Uh, team expectations, you mean, or? Yeah, your team and your expectation. Are you going to stay in, in San Francisco? What are your plans? And uh, what do you think Cal Heat is, is planning to do? Yeah, I'm going to stay in SF. That's, that's for sure. Uh, hopefully we can resume practice, let's say, in a normal way in September, October. Um, I think from a Cal Heat standpoint, we, you know, we are going to try to remain where we are, you know, really at the top uh, with, with you guys and Nayak. Um, I think one of the things we started doing this year, and you'll, you would have you know, experienced that already at Nationals, we wanted to go with a bit of a younger team. I, I transitioned the team a little bit, uh, and next season was supposed to be even more. So, uh, so the team is a bit different from the team you played, but uh, even though the core is there. But uh, yeah, we, we, we are trying to, I want to change a little bit things, you know, I, <clears throat> we have played the same system for now four years and we have new players now younger different mentality so we want to play a bit of a different more dynamic and modern handball next year so um yeah we just want to be uh evolving as a club in a positive way um and hopefully you know also our our ladies team can uh can follow i think they've, they've worked hard this year so yeah which is growing fairly fast your your women's team yeah, yeah, I hope they, you know, they also, they need the same click as we had, you know, against Nayak two years ago, so something. Yeah, yeah. So what about you? Well, uh, yeah, first first step is uh, uh, renewing the the old guys like me. Uh, that's, that's a key. Uh, just like you, really trying to, to allow anyone who's younger to step up. I want people to step up and 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 take ownership and take leadership and take direction and open for any sort of new ideas to renew this this group of people. I mean, we have a great amount of uh, talent still, and even at older age, we can still play in this league. But um, ultimately, you wanna bring fresh blood and and opportunity to other people. So that's ideally would be our goal. And um, and again. Um, Ultimately, the priceless element in here as we started is really to keep this family feeling together, to keep this club identity together. And uh, it's, uh, it's not about the wins. We've had a long, long run and it's great, but it, and sometimes it's a curse because all you're looking, nothing but winning is, is acceptable for us. And yeah. for some people, it's not a good feeling to live that way, but 
ultimately it come has to come to an end and you gotta do okay we'll do the best we can until uh we reach the part where we feel confident of our performance but um you know when when the older guys retire there's supposed to be a new generation that brings a different vibe to to yeah. the, the club Let's hope we, uh, you know, we get a chance to do what we love really soon. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Danilo. This was fun. Uh, it's good talking to you and, and catching up and all the little things that people don't know about us, uh, about our relationship. Do you have anything else to add? Do you... No, I mean, you know, we were talking and I think it's just maybe to, uh, uh, you know, I hope we can have a chance if there is no season, maybe to play a friendly game. You know, I mentioned that to you. Yeah. Fun. Uh, I think any in, in, in there, any gym would uh, would help as long as it has you know the handball dimensions. Yeah, if we can play that, you know my guys would be ready. Uh, I'm sure yours would be. And uh, oh, absolutely, I think that would be fun. Well, we're up for it. I think summer is going to be free for most people. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. All right, Danilo. Thank you again. Have a nice day. Also, thank you, Vinny. You too. Take care. Bye. -bye.